Hello, my name is Will Schumacher. I serve as Dean of Theological Research and Publication here at Concordia Seminary, and uh, I'm here to talk about CFW Walther. Uh, with me today are two of my colleagues uh, from the Department of Historical Theology, Jerry Bodie. Thank you, it's great to be here. And from our exegetical department, Tom Egger. Tom, glad you could be with us today. Yeah, thanks for asking. Concordia Seminary is famously associated with CFW Walther. Uh, he served as professor and president of this institution for many, many years, for most of his life. And uh, we uh, uh, are proud to remember him uh, at any time. But in this year, 2000, uh, 2011, we're especially commemorating the 200th anniversary of Walther's birth, uh, the bicentennial of CFW Walther. Uh, which is a good opportunity, a good occasion to ask some, some good questions historically. Uh, I suppose the first question is, why should we remember C.F.W. Walther? Uh, he's obviously a big name in the Missouri Synod. Uh, he's uh, associated with much of our theological life and, and the shape of our tradition. Uh, but uh, let me ask my colleagues, why should we think about and remember uh, C.F.W. Walther and uh, how important is a birthday bicentennial like this? Let me start with you, Jerry. Well, I, I think that, that it's worth remembering Walther every year, as you said, but especially this year, because of the, of the influential role that he played, not only in the history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, but in American Lutheranism. I, I would say he's really one of the most important figures in the history of American Lutheranism. He played a, a, a leadership role in the church at a time when the churches were organizing themselves, when their confessional theological positions were being established. And that leadership role was one that was really an example to many other church bodies, but especially in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. His leadership role in our own synod is really unparalleled. There's nobody really to compare him with. Tom, uh, why would an exegete remember Walther these days? Yeah, well, uh my interest in Walther is kind of a different hat than I wear normally teaching Old Testament classes uh, here in the classroom. But uh, I became interested in, in Walther during my seminary days. I worked with Dr. August Suflo over at the Concordia Historical Institute. He was writing a Walther biography and I was one of his student researchers. So I spent a lot of time chasing down all kinds of stray questions that he had about all different aspects of, of Walther's life. You know your way and, around the uh, archives there a little bit. Yeah, I was actually just over there this morning uh, uh, to track something down and I hadn't been there for quite some time so it's, uh, I had to reacquaint myself a bit. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, that's I guess was the history of my interest in Walther and the time that I spent um, getting to know him not only as a theologian but also as a man and as a historical figure. Um, I just really came to respect him deeply and admire all that he had given of himself um, during uh, a lot of difficult days in the early life of our synod and, um, and, and the, the really helpful foundation that he laid in a lot of ways for both the theology and the practice and the life of our synod. That's a good place to start. Uh, you mentioned the early days of the Missouri Synod. Uh, Walther was a young pastor when the Saxon uh, group uh, immigrated to Missouri uh, under Bishop Martin Stephan. Um, how did 
Walther, who I, I guess was the youngest pastor in the group at the time, how did he emerge as a, as a theological leader? It was kind of under pressure, I think. I mean, he was, he was the youngest. He might have been the most expendable, too. So when, when difficult chores needed to be done, I think he was often uh, you know, assigned these difficult tasks. One of them was to go down and, and really confront Martin Stephan in, in Perry County before Bishop Stephan's uh, expulsion from the, from the colony down there. But he really emerges, especially after that time, as, as one of the leaders, even though he's one of the youngest, especially in the area of theology. I think it's probably the Altenberg debate where he really kind of emerges as a, one of the true theological leaders among the, the pastors and um, sets the, the, the group on a path that will really kind of prepare their, their way for the, for the connection with other Lutherans in America. Yeah, it was almost accidental in some ways the way that he emerges as that lone voice and that clearest voice in the Altenburg uh, debate. He had become so ill in the wake of, of the mess with Martin Stefan. And after um, Stefan's failings and the expulsion of Stefan, the whole community is adrift and the clergy have really isolated themselves. They're spending a lot of time talking amongst themselves, but their thinking is so clouded and befuddled and uh, it's going in all directions. And Walther, because of his illness, is isolated um, from the other clergy for the most part and really develops his own his own thinking, largely through the study of Luther at that time, and emerges as someone who can speak clearly and present ideas in a clear and persuasive way. And I think that that is a quality in Walther that um, appears again and again throughout the life of, uh, throughout his life and throughout the early days of Synod. When things are controverted, when things are clouded, Walther emerges as someone who can speak in a clear and compelling, persuasive way to different issues. He does play a pivotal role in a number of questions. Uh, of course, the initial controversy surrounding uh, Bishop Stephan's uh, uh, abrupt departure, uh, the uh, controversy with Johannes Grabau uh, and with Wilhelm Lea uh, over somewhat related issues of ministry. So he does come again and again to the forefront and, and be that person who can clearly articulate uh, a theological answer to a particular pressing question. Is, is, how would you characterize Walther's theological style, I suppose, or, or his uh, theological approach? Is there something distinctive to it, or is the genius of this that it's not distinctive, it's just kind of pure Lutheran? Uh, does he have an imprint, uh, a kind of a, a personality, a theological personality that gets uh, uh, developed in, the, in his work? What would you say? I, I would say certainly there is. He is, he is clearly Lutheran and, and desirous of being Lutheran. He's certainly confessional and desirous of, of holding fast to the, to the teachings of the Lutheran Confession. Yeah, very deeply committed to the, to the Book of Concord. Right. He's a Book of right. Concord Lutheran. And it, it's not, it, is, it is holding to the doctrine, but it, it's, it's more than that. It's living this, this out in the world. So it's not, the doctrine is not something we simply keep on a shelf, but it's something that we, we, we preach from our pulpits, we live in our daily lives as Christians. So he's interested in, in having the right teaching, but also the right 
practice of the Christian faith and life at the same time. And he really kind of expects that, uh, uh, among other, in the congregations in the synod as well as his pastors. But I would say that along with that, you were talking about his ability to persuade. I think he's very persuasive. He's a great communicator mm -hmm. in a time when, you know, there's, they don't have a lot of means of communicating, especially mm -hmm. when you're out in a rural area. I mean, he comes to St. Louis, and in 1844, he's, he's starting to work on Der Lutheraner. He's the, the editor of this newspaper and very desirous of communicating. It, it becomes kind of this, this beacon out of St. Louis. He mails this thing out to every Lutheran congregation that he knows, I think. And it kind of, it's his mouthpiece for saying, this is who we are. We're, we're Lutherans here in Missouri. We're confessional. We're Lutheran. We're biblical. These, this is what we're concerned about. How about you? Anybody out there interested in this? But I, at the same time, he wants to persuade. And I think he's really kind of idealistic about it. And probably disappointed when he's not able to persuade others to his, to his way of thinking. So I'd say it's a combination of of commitment to, to Lutheran orthodoxy and orthopraxy, uh, coupled with uh, really good communication skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really couples kind of idealism and, and theological convictions with very pragmatic and, and uh, perceptive approaches to how to go about the task of laying the foundation of the church, even something like jumping into the publication of Der Luder Honor, he, he comes onto the American scene and he's very observant. He mm -hmm. says, what is going to be persuasive? How, how, what is going to be influential here in this, in this context? And he sees the, the dearth of literature and, and amusement, <laughs> and he sees that uh, anything that's being published is being picked up and read, and he says, I'm going to jump into that. And, uh, and uh, I guess the, your original question was, um, you know, what characterized his theology? His critics would brand him as a citation theologian, a repristinator, mm -hmm. um, that he really was kind of oblivious to the situation of his day. He just grabbed old answers and imported them uh, verbatim into the new situation. I think that really is, I, I think that misses a lot of dimensions of Walther's perceptiveness to the situation that, that he found himself in and the way that he certainly did have a great respect for the voices from previous generations and wanted to marshal their resources. He wanted to find himself in league with them, but he wanted to find himself in league with them in his day, in America, mm -hmm. in St. Louis, in the early days of a new synod in a new land. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that I've, I've frequently been struck how often Walter would take up this critic, criticism of his, of his opponents who called him a citation theologian, or, and he sort of wore that gladly. He said, yeah, I don't want to invent something new. I want to be a, a, a Book of Concord classical Lutheran. That's, uh, that's what I want to be. But that was, in some cases, I'm convinced, that was a rhetorical move you know, sort of denying that he was doing something original, when in fact he was inventing a confessional Lutheran church in completely new soil with structures that no Lutheran church had ever tried before. So he was actually pretty innovative, even though he would sort of shrug that off and, and claim that he was only following the uh, sort of Lutheran Orthodox uh, confessional position. 
I, th I think sometimes people think that he was trying to take the Lutheran Church back to the 16th century. And, and I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think he wanted the, the Luther and the Lutheran confessors of the 16th century, or in, Luther, in the Lutheran dogmaticians of the 17th century, to be heard in this 19th century American context. I think he was convinced that they had something to say, mm -hmm. something important to say, and he wanted that to have some kind of bearing on the theological conversation here today. I think that was also one way he, he strove to, to remain a faithful Lutheran is you, you can't ever forget those old voices. They have something for us to, to hear today. You said something a minute ago I wanted to come back to, and that is his, uh, his sort of energetic embrace of uh, communication means and publishing and so forth. It's, he's well known for that. It was, uh, was certainly well known, a well-known figure among people far beyond the Missouri Synod uh, because of his publishing efforts. Um, that seems to me a, a kind of reversal from the attitude that the Saxon colony came with. They were a rather inward-turned uh, community, um, and communicating with other Lutherans around the United States was not high on their list of priorities. Uh, they were trying to protect themselves from bad influences, as I read the history. Um, uh, do you think that was a decisive sort of turn for Walther as this turn outward that being confessional meant not not a sort of an inward focus on your own community but also an outward focus to confess this and do your best to persuade people of this doctrine yeah I think they realized he, Walther and others realized that that it was really important for the survival of Lutheranism in America that they band together with other Lutherans uh, certainly all, all the, the folks that we ended up joining, Michigan, Indian, and Ohio people, uh, Winnikin and, and, and Frederick Kramer and Wilhelm Seeler and those kinds of guys were very interested in communicating as well and, and building relationships. But I really think they thought that they needed to work together in order to survive. This is kind of hard for us to imagine today, but I mean, it, this, this was, yeah. the, this was the, the frontier. I mean, there wasn't much west of St. Louis in those days. And I think they realized that, that they really needed one another. It, it, not simply their moral support or financial support, but they needed to form a, a confessional fellowship for the survival of, of Lutheranism in this new land. And, and they expected to find that, didn't they? They expected that others would confess this same gospel even if they weren't from the same location. I think Walther's theology, like you say, shifted very significantly uh, in the aftermath of the Stefan affair in terms of his view of their own identity as a community and his ecclesiology. He, he, he and, and the others clearly came to see the emigration and the, and the preaching that preceded the emigration, the, mm -hmm. the publicity by which they encouraged um, the Lutheran lady who came with them to come as a great sin. and and the emigration itself, Walter would look back on as the greatest sin of his life. That, that to see their community as the true church that needed to close itself off. So he saw it as a theological necessity in being the church to reach out to those outside of the community with their confession and to, um, and to acknowledge the, uh, to acknowledge the fellowship that they shared with with those outside who were also church. Now I think you've just said something that I that is not part of the 
the popular idea of CFW Walther. And that is the attitude he came to have toward the events around the, the Saxon immigration. There's still a tendency, I think, in the popular retelling of that to portray that immigration as a kind of heroic, courageous stand for the sake of the true gospel. And then they, they bravely came to America uh, to, to well, establish this. Certainly it did take a lot of courage and it did have yes. some, some proper religious. I mean, it was an oppressive uh, rationalist environment there in Germany, but it wasn't all of it that he rejected, but it was specifically this idea that they were the, the ones preserving the true church, that the church was basically extinct in Germany and um, he came to repent of that. In fact, he writes to his brother, O.H. Walther, in the, in the struggles after Stefan had been expelled, and just catalogs all of the sins that were involved, including the sin of murder, because so yes. many people died, um, first of all, in one of the ships sinking on the way over, and then in the hardships of the, of the Perry County community. Um, and he wore that he wore that experience, I think, heavily through the rest of his life. I think it was part of the, part of the um, outward impulse of his work in America. I know the letter you're talking about in that he, he says that, that uh, you know, he no longer thinks of the immigration as premature, but thinks that the pastors shouldn't have immigrated at all. They should have stayed and, and taken care of their congregations in yeah. Germany. Resigning their calls and abandoning the sheep was another part of the sin. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, can I just interject here? Don't you think that this is a very difficult time for, for Walter in this immediate aftermath, that he's, he's going through a great deal of struggle. Those, those two years after they expelled Martin Stefan were really difficult. There's a lot of soul searching, not simply among the pastors, but among lay people as well. Do you think he comes clear of any of that by the Altenburg debate? Because that's really Marbach's argument. Adolf Marbach's argument is, is on, on the question of are we pastors in America or are we church in this place? Mm -hmm. His argument is we sinned in coming over here. Uh, the solution is that we so need we're to repent. We've departed from We need to go back to Germany. That's really the only solution. And Walther gets up and says, now, that's not really what this is about. Yeah. So that's it's right. not that he doesn't yeah. does really discount the, the idea that it's a matter of sin or or guilt. He says the question here it has to do with the nature of the church and the nature of the office of the holy ministry. I think he's working through some things. I think I think you're right though. I think he long feels that that this this was a mistake. At least at least some of the things that we did were a mistake. That I think I think your example there of the Altenburg debate is a great picture of how Walther, even though so often I think he's branded as being somewhat harsh or extreme or hyper-orthodox, dogmatic, uh, dogmatic yeah. he, he very seldom found himself pushed into the ditch on the other side of the road. He was very good at, um, at maintaining a, a balanced and a theologically informed position on things so that he could say things like, we have sinned in coming over here. The immigration was wrong. But also say, here we are with the word and the sacraments and Christ's saving work in our midst. Mm -hmm. We're the church. Uh, on, so, on so many points, his, his reaction over against rationalism in Germany never hardened into anti-intellectualism. Mm -hmm. He always had a great respect for scholarship and for um, um, serious intellectual pursuit and... and um, almost to a fault, so that at times he w 
uh, was always going after German-trained uh, professors uh, to bring sure. to bring to the St. Louis Seminary and got burned a couple of times uh, with that. His reaction to Pietism never became a mistrust of emotion. He always uh, he always had a very healthy place for the role of emotion in religious experience. Um, and you could go on and on. Um, his his critique of the Americanization of Lutheranism here in this country, that it was going on out on the East Coast with the definite synodical platform and, and, uh, and a lot of other um, unhealthy directions, never became, a, uh, never became a rejection of all things American. He embraced the American opportunity. He brought a number of, of uh, American ideas and appreciation for um, aspects of the American context in which the church found itself into the life of the church. So he, he was very good, I think, at, at rejecting those things which needed to be rejected, but not going into the ditch on the other side and of the I road. think it was because he was such a fine theologian that he was able to do that really well. Mm -hmm. He could go back and, and, and analyze the situation theologically and, and wouldn't fall into the extremes. For example, with pietism, he understands there's, a, there's, a, there's an importance of emphasizing the Christian life mm -hmm. and all that goes along with that. True Not to the extremes, right, but holy that's important. We don't throw mm -hmm. that out. But you're mm -hmm. right, he doesn't go off to extremes. And I think he's always kind of, because he's so well grounded in Lutheran theology and in the confessions, he doesn't make those kinds of errors. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the example of the Altenburg debate. It would have been easy for that debate to have degenerated into an argument about whether the immigration had been justified. Uh, and he, in his, his construction of the argument, he avoided that entirely, basically by conceding that it was sinful. Yeah, we made Yeah. So, uh, and the, the real question is, what's the church? And uh, where, where's the gospel? And, and even though he probably convinced Marbach uh, I think Marbach kind of came around to his position at the end. Mar Marbach would still go back to Germany mm -hmm. at the end, but they, they kind of parted as uh, very good terms as friends. Yeah, it's really a crucible. It's, they just have to go through the really, really difficult stuff. But it's from that, that difficult period that a lot, of really, a lot of strength really emerges from this group, Walther especially. I think Walther's sometimes portrayed, uh, and by association, perhaps the whole Missouri Synod, as very harsh in its judgment and condemnation of other churches. Um, the, uh, Walter had a, a significant uh, uh, treatise on the, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the true visible church of God on earth, and, and people hear that as if it's the Missouri Synod, the true church. Um, I, I think from what you've said, I think you'd agree with me that that's that's a mischaracterization of, of Walther's attitude toward other churches. I mean, he, he, was, uh, um, he was energetic in his uh, promotion of uh, genuine Lutheranism, but that didn't automatically transfer to uh, or translate into a, a sort of hucksterism on behalf of the Missouri Synod, per se. Again, you can, you can kind of find both notes sounding in, in Walther. On the one hand, he he will say, we are fighting a war here. I mean, he'll put it in those terms and say, to stand for the Lutheran confession of the gospel in this land, surrounded by uh, so many sects and, and competing voices, and, and, and 
what he would have viewed as false Lutherans. Mm -hmm. um, he, he says, we're, we're fighting a war here. But on the other hand, he does not turn that into a triumphalism or a self-aggrandizing kind of a, a posture. Even the series of lectures that you mentioned, the, the Evangelical Lutheran Church as the true visible church on earth, all of the theses are developed under the theme of because it gives all glory to God under this doctrine, under this doctrine, yes. under this doctrine. So, so that, uh, that perspective that we really are right and we're fighting for the truth and we have the truth on our side was not a, was not a personal confidence but it was a confidence in the teachings of Scripture and ultimately in the glory of Christ. That was, that was finally his litmus test, just like that's Melanchthon's litmus test in Article 4. You know, justification is so important because it gives all glory to Christ, all comfort to troubled sinners. Um, Walter could look at, at the Lutheran confessions and say, I'm confident that this is the true expression of the truest expression of the church on earth because it reserves all glory to Christ. Pure doctrine is a, is a pretty high standard. And, and I don't know that, that uh, I, I guess I think he expected that of, of all the other Lutheran churches. And it's not so much that everybody knows exactly what that means, but they know what impure doctrine is. And that's where we have to have conversations about things. I think that's what, what makes it so difficult for, for Missouri to get along with the other Lutheran groups is because they have that pretty high expectation and uh, not everybody shares the same doctrinal position that we do on things. And I do think he's disappointed when he's not able to persuade people yeah. uh, to, see, to see things his way. Yeah, where people have open questions, Walter wants to say, yeah. well, figure it out and then <laughs> come talk to us. Come back and talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I think we've uh, identified several points at which uh, C.F.W. Walter is a, not only a, an interesting historical figure, uh, but also a, a keen theologian and a, a sensitive pastor as well. Uh, well worth remembering, not only on his 200th birthday. I thank my colleagues who have spent a lot of years hanging out with C.F.W. Walther and uh, uh, learning from him and learning about him. And uh, urge you to uh, explore Walther and his writings and, and the theological legacy that he leaves us as Lutherans here in America. Thanks very much.